Launch. That's our theme this episode. We meet a Plano resident who played a key role in NASA's space program in the 1960s and 70s. I was blessed to be able to not only witness the future, but to participate in its arrival. We meet two passionate pickleball promoters pushing to launch the sport in Plano. And I, Tammy Hooker, attempt to launch my community theater acting career in an upcoming annual production of Scrooge. Bah humbug. Come see Scrooge the first two weekends of December. Welcome to Plano Podcast, tales of curiosity and character. I'm your host, Tammy Hooker. And I'm producer Mary Jacobs. We're glad you found our little on-air hangout with stories from inside of Plano. And just outside of what you might expect. Gene Krantz told us at one time, you know, particularly during Apollo 13, he says, you were all born to be here at this time, so do it. That's Plano resident Phil Palacia. And yes, he's talking about the Gene Krantz of the Apollo 13 mission. Phil played a key role at NASA and witnessed some incredible moments in the space program's history. These are the missions that I supported. Gemini, Apollo Skylab, and Apollo Soyuz. I worked for IBM, and I wrote the code for the orbit determination program. And, and in many cases, I sat at the console to select the vectors to find the, the spacecraft. My job was to make sure that we knew exactly where the astronauts were. Each day that I would go to work, we were going to do things that had never been done before. Phil had no ambitions to join the space program. But in retrospect, it seems like fate. His degree was in mathematics, and he applied for a job at IBM. They called me in and set me in front of a blackboard and gave me a test on differential equations. And uh, they said, OK, we'll hire you. And I still didn't know what I was going to do, but I was going to work with IBM. So I get, finally got a letter of acceptance and went to Houston. And I reported there, and they said, you're going to do the orbit determination work for the spacecraft. And I was, good gosh. But then after I started looking at the mathematics, I said, yeah, I can do that, because that's exactly what I knew how to do. So I did it. Now, did I plan it? No. If I'd planned it, I'd probably messed it up. During Phil's career, scientists work with what seems like primitive technology today, making America's early space accomplishments even more impressive. We had no internet. We had no personal computers. We didn't even have hand calculators. But I had my faithful uh, slide rule. Uh, telephones you would dial. We did have indoor plumbing. That was about it. In mission control, in the, what I call the trench, the bottom floor where I worked, we had five 7094 IBM computers. And uh, we ran two simultaneously for the missions. And they were huge machines at the time. They were a 512K memory, and I've got triple that in my wristwatch right now. So what was it like being involved in those early days of the space program? There were times when it was boring, and then there were times where it was terrifying. If we didn't do the right thing, we'd kill the astronauts. And we came pretty close. Uh, with the exception of Gemini 8, 
we would usually have enough time to figure out what we were going to do. Gemini 8, we just had to move it quick because they were coming in. They were almost out of fuel. And that was Armstrong and Scott. And uh, I was particularly nervous at that flight because the last bit of tracking we had was a, a ship. And in those days, we didn't have GPS, so I didn't know exactly where the ship was, nor did anybody else. So I used uh, what I call elementary geometry, <laughs> which said that uh, with three points, I could determine the circle. So I'd written a little subroutine in the code that said after three data points, I would determine where the spacecraft was going to be. I'd you know, project it down, 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 because the data would come in every six seconds. So at 17,000 miles an hour, they would move quite fast coming down and splashed down. So we had to know exactly where they were. So the DOD would know where to bring the ships. So fortunately, there was a destroyer called the Mason, which was in the area where Gemini 8 came down. And they didn't have all of the equipment, but they had a hoist. And they hooked the spacecraft up and hoisted it up on top of the destroyer and brought them in. We improvised a lot. What we didn't know didn't hurt us. We didn't know we couldn't do it, so we did it. And if you're wondering, yes, Phil likes the movie version of the story of Apollo 13. And the duct tape scene was for real. I've watched it about 10 times. I was actually in mission control when that was going on. Dr. Joe Kerwin was the uh, astronaut communicator at the time, so I knew him very well. And they would actually measure the duct tape, you know, with their arm because they didn't have any, any uh, instruments on board to measure. And the astronauts were very obedient. They did exactly what they were told to do, and it worked. Of course, Phil keeps track of current space exploration. He maintains an email distribution list of Plano residents who want to know when the space station will be visible in the night skies over Plano. He hopes the United States will continue to invest in the space program because it spurs innovation that benefits everyone. The uh, space program required miniaturization. So as a result, you get things like transistor radios, uh, smaller uh, wristwatches, cameras, Communications, I think, is the biggest thing. Satellites run the world. Just think about it. Your telephone wouldn't work, your TV wouldn't work, your GPS wouldn't work, airplanes couldn't fly. I was blessed to be able to not only witness the future, but to participate in its arrival. Phil humbly dismisses reports that fret over the body of knowledge that was lost when his generation of scientists retired from NASA. The, the people that are working it today are infinitely more competent than we were. They have more tools, and I admire them a lot. Now, we can give them wisdom of things that we went through, but it's kind of like the, the guys that built the wagon wheels, you know? We, they, we built good wagon wheels, but you don't use wagon wheels anymore. We've given you only a taste of Phil's fascinating story. If you want to hear more, he'll be speaking at the Carpenter Rec Center on Wednesday, December 5th at 7 p.m. When you look up at the sky tonight, you can thank your Plano neighbor for some incredible history that happened right above our heads. Are you enjoying this episode of Plano Podcast? If so, you can join our growing list of patrons. Visit planopodcast.com and click on the support tab for more information. Now, 
back to the show. So Mrs. Cratchit is married to Mr. Cratchit. Mr. Cratchit works for Scrooge, the nastiest, nastiest man on the earth. It's Christmas Eve. And so now they're sitting down to eat and Mr. Cratchit is going to give the toast. That's Sarah Akers of North Texas Performing Arts, coaching me through a clunky audition for the upcoming production of Scrooge. Sarah Akers and Daryl Rodenbaugh gave us a special behind-the-scenes tour of their facility at the shops at Willow Bend. Yeah, we have 26,000 square feet. This facility is the largest performing arts facility for youth in the country. So we have seven troops. Six of seven of them are children's theater-oriented. Five of them do uh, every show from Annie to you know Rent. Uh, we have our, our Star Catchers group, which is our therapeutic drama group. Our, our Star Catcher program is our therapeutic program, so that's special needs, youth and adults. So. Uh, we have uh, and then our academy group. Eight shows a year, or eight shows next year, will be our repertory theater company, which is really adult professionals and semi-professionals. This fall, for the first time ever, we opened uh, the NTPA Academy. We want it to be in a magnet school for kids who, just for two types of kids, kids that love this as a passion, but want to do something else with their lives, and for the kid who really wants this as a career. Like everything that we do, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're trying to manage it as a not-for-profit organization, right? And so everything that we do needs additional funding, needs additional, you know, sort of care and feeding. We'd like to offer offer more opportunities to kids. We'd like to offer more scholarships. Long list of things that we could that we could always use help for. Now back to the audition. Uh, but nonetheless, he is the founder of our feast, and, and we shall drink to him. The founder of our feast, indeed. I wish I had him here. I give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and he'd have indigestion for a month. Oh, my dear, the children, Christmas. <laughs> and, and now you're going to sing for us. Yes. I'm joking. No. <laughs> Can you sing, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream? You didn't really think we were going to make you listen to that, did you? You know, audition is really an interview for a job in a show. You want to come prepared, and the, the moment that you start auditioning, that for the moment you come in the door, and then you would slate your name. A lot of our children will have a headshot uh, with their resume. Uh, this just kind of shows just kind of who you're dealing with. You're dealing with someone that's got experience, that knows what you're going to be expecting them, that's going to be able to deliver. If I can do it, you can do it. I'll be playing Beggar Woman in the production. It's a lot of fun. A big Plano holiday tradition and one you don't want to miss. The performances are going to be December 7th through the 16th. Uh, we're going to be doing the first weekend here over the shops of Willoughby. And then the second weekend will be over the Courtyard Theater in downtown Plano. Buy your tickets now at www.ntpa.org. Uh, tickets are $18 for general admission and $25 for premium seats. Bah humbug. See you there. Nearly 3 million people nationwide have jumped on the latest recreational craze, a racket sport called pickleball. And here in Plano, a small but mighty force of ambassadors are enthusiastically pressing to make the game more accessible at rec centers all across the city. My name's Julie Holmer, and I am an ambassador for the United States Pickleball Association, and I'm on a mission to raise pickleball awareness in Plano. My name is Farah Gopalani. I'm also a U.S. Um, pickleball ambassador. I used to do family law, and I used to see people in the sort of their worst moments in life. And now through pickleball, I really experience true joy. It's such a contrast. It's so uplifting and transformative. I don't know. 
These ladies are so passionate. They've inspired a song written and recorded by a local artist. So what exactly is pickleball? It's a little like tennis, played on a slightly smaller size court with paddles that look like oversized ping pong paddles, and the ball is a wiffle ball. It lends itself to pickup games. It's a very social sport. You don't have to show up with a partner. You show up and you just, you know, typically it's really crowded. Yeah, and- mainly you get like pickup games. So you just show up during a certain time and there's people already there, so you don't have to arrange a game. Pickleball is also easy to learn and easy on the joints, making it an option for people of all ages, including older adults. For seniors, new research suggests that taking up pickleball as a serious form of leisure can enhance mental health and well-being. The great thing is really any age can play. I mean, it serves an entire community. Yeah, it really does. I mean, any age. um, when, When my boys started playing, my youngest was nine and we were on spring break in Florida at a place that had pickleball courts. And my nine year old, my 11 year old and my 74 year old dad and I played for hours yeah. and it's it's great you're really not limited by um your physical ability yeah and that's what you see in the sport it's cross-generational the game's only like 10 to 15 minutes yeah but if you're playing competitively yeah. and you're playing back-to-back games you're definitely gonna have a good workout the two women have mobilized plano's growing base of pickleball fans to get facilities for the sport included in the city's parks and rec plan which was recently approved by city council they also think that pickleball tournaments could bring tourist dollars to Plano. Oh, we've been kind of vocal. We organized people to come out to a park planning session, all with paddles in hand, to give a very visible you know, presence there. And it's reflected in the uh, new Mar- Parks and Rec Master Plan. As a city for, for Plano, I think it's a no-brainer to be on board with pickleball because it could be also potentially um, a huge revenue well, source. Tourist, tourist dollars, for sure. We have a a Facebook page we created called Plano Pickleball Club that people share information about upcoming tournaments or mm-hmm. just articles or fun news out there. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about pickleball is that it's such a exhilarating, fun sport that you'll see people drive out from all over the greater DFW area just to play. Thank you, Julian Farah, for your efforts to raise pickleball awareness right here in Plano. And thank you for listening to this episode of Plano Podcast. We've reached the end of another edition of Plano Podcast, tales of curiosity and character. We hope you've enjoyed today's topics and discussion. Remember to support us on Patreon and to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Send your feedback, ideas, and comments our way. Thanks for listening and subscribing. We'll be waiting for you at our back corner booth. Until next time.